Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 149 with Dr. Rovi Brannan uh, of the Continuum College at University of Washington. So uh, really great exploration uh, and just examination of this current moment with continuing education, uh, which just is really growing and expanding and uh, just getting a lot of uh, discussion uh, is well-deserved and well-earned and uh, just something that is really relevant to this current moment, supporting more adult online, you know, uh, lifelong learners and all that good stuff. So I uh, just really appreciate all the perspectives that, uh, that Rovi shared and uh, some great resources to check out. So please do check out the resources, check out uh, ways to continue the conversation with Rovi uh, and all that the Continuum College has to offer. Uh, and uh, since I was out at South by Southwest EDU last week recording a live podcast on site there in Austin, uh, which is super great and a lot of fun, uh, that audio will be in the feed here, uh, kind of cleaned up and everything uh, in a few weeks. Uh, and you can find the uh, raw audio available on South by Southwest EDU site. Uh, so go find that if you would like. But uh, without further ado, if there's a brief message, this is episode number 149 with Rovi Brannan. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right. We are here continuing to talk about continuing education, uh, something that I have just gotten a lot more interested in lately. I feel like it's in the zeitgeist a lot as uh, people are examining opportunities to engage uh, adult learners and lifelong learners and uh, so many other things. So without further ado, let's just get right to it. Uh, Rovi, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional background and how you got to be where you are today. Sure, Dustin. Well, great to be here. Uh, I'm Rovi Brannan. I'm Vice Provost for Continuum College at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I've been at uh, Continuum College for about eight years. We are the adult and continuing education arm of the university, but our, uh, our purview has grown so that we have learners from 7 to uh, 87 in our purview, summer youth camps. We have an Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for uh, older learners, so we really run the gamut of lifetime learning, but uh, I think we've historically been known as adult and continuing education in the past. Uh, I've been in this field for about 15 years. Prior to coming to the University of Washington, I worked at the University of Wisconsin Extension, and we worked uh, statewide, very similar kind of function, serving the needs of adult and continuing learners across the state of uh, of Wisconsin. And I came into this field, uh, mo- like most people, uh, there's there's nobody that starts off when they are, you know, uh, 10 years old saying, I want to be an adult in continuing education when I grow up. So I uh, came into this field by being told higher education is not for you, meaning um, my high school counselor said, you're not really college material. You should think about shop class, um, which is great. And I believe in the trades. But for me personally, I'm also not good in shop class. So so I was really I had a bit of a conundrum and had to figure out where I was going to go in life, made my way through um, back into higher education as an adult myself and continue it on until I got my PhD. And now I work at this incredible research university, helping other adults uh, find their path and find their way forward in higher education. Continuum College itself serves about 60,000 learners each year uh, in lifelong learning um, 
uh, kinds of activities uh, and um, are just as a comparator, the rest of the University of Washington serves about 48,000 traditional students in undergraduate and graduate programs. So um, adult and continuing education is, is really growing and it's exciting to be a part of this field uh, at this point in time um, as we as we see this explosive growth in people going back and learning in new and different ways from their higher education institutions. Well, I, I guess what kind of caught my ear is that you there at the continuing college, like support s- students from all age groups. Like, like, uh, I guess, do you know, like the context around that? Like, uh, like, has it just kind of traditionally always been what you all do? Or is that like a recent change? Um, well, we've been around since 1912. And we really did start off just serving adult learners and specifically uh, really helping with non-degree programs uh, for adults. So back in 1912 and right before and as we went into the Great uh, Depression, we were helping rural families learn how to manage their budgets better, uh, the the farmers how to uh, manage their crops. And so over the years, we've added bits and pieces. And so it's been a very organic path to grow into true lifelong learning in the way that we have. Uh, but it's not uncommon for many of the units like ours across the United States. Yeah, just uh, yeah, super unique, super cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, a great long history. I guess uh, I was going to say like, oh, you recently had your 100th uh, anniversary. It was like, that was over 10 years ago or about 10 years ago. Um, but uh, well, belated congrats on that uh, milestone. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, like both said, like it's, uh, you know, continuing education is something that has, I think just it's kind of having its moment, especially now, obviously, you know, you all have been there uh, doing this work for a long time. But I guess from your perspective, what you th- what do you think is making professional and continuing education especially relevant right now? Well, in this moment, I think, um, and so meaning just in the last two years, uh, the pandemic has had a real impact on on what adult learners are thinking about. And you might imagine if you're thinking about a degree program, uh, a master's degree is a two-year commitment. Uh, an undergraduate degree is a three or four year uh, uh, commitment for most adults um, and or even longer if you're part time. And right now, this doesn't feel like an environment for most people where thinking three to five years in advance is really um, in, in their in their mental state. And so part of what we're hearing is, uh, you know, I need something that I know is going to be helpful in the next six to eight months uh, versus I'm really thinking long term. And and I like to say, you know, I, I was uh, working in higher ed during the Great Recession, and that was really when we saw the explosion of online degree programs. And I would say really in the last five or six years, it's a differentiation of programming available from higher education. That's the big revolution. A lot of that is online, but a lot of that is non-degree programming designed to help adult learners with smaller chunks, skill-based uh, approaches to uh, very high-end skills. Often these aren't basic skills. Sometimes they can be very high-end skills, but breaking them apart from the degree model and offering them in different packages so that people can get what they need. But in this moment of the pandemic, we've really seen that acceleration. And I think part of it is it's just very hard for all of us right now to think much longer than, hey, for me, sometimes it's much longer than what I'm going to um, have for dinner tonight. Um, but for mm-hmm. for all of us, thinking three to five years is really tough right now, I think. Yeah, I appreciate kind of acknowledging, I think both pieces of it is like, well, I guess really multiple pieces of it is one, like the modality, like there's just been so much more proliferation of high quality uh, online education and people's ability to access that um, just become more uh, common. And then, uh, yeah, over the past several years, and especially over the past two, uh, the necessity of uh, 
being able to get credentials and certificates and those sort of things to allow people to pivot, whether it's dissatisfaction that reached its apex uh, given the the last two years or, uh, yeah, just the dramatically changing job landscape, uh, uh, you know, kind of requiring people to uh, gain new skills. And yeah, I mean, I think the other part of it that's really fascinating for me is, I mean, exactly what you're saying, like breaking off and kind of chunking out uh, learning for people, but then the opportunities. So if you want to kind of like extrapolate on this a little bit, it's just the opportunities for people to, you know, get that nine credit graduate certificate, but then they think they can parlay that into uh, getting into an MBA program or something, you know, and like kind of getting a head start on it if it's at something that they want to pursue. So how do you see that sort of like the stackable piece as everybody likes to talk, talk about uh, kind of working into um, what you're seeing out there? Yeah, I think it's it's both. I mean, we see people who really want to know that they're going to uh, leap in and, and start working on something that does have a there there down the road, even if they're not getting a degree today. People are interested in credentials that might be part of a degree they can go back and finish later. But it's not just a certificate that I think is a credential. People really are looking for very specific elements of degrees that have an impact on their job today. So it's not just, I think in the past we might have heard, let me get a certificate uh, that just helps me more generally, let's say in the MBA realm, a business certificate. Uh, but today it's more, I really need the skills in data science as a part of that today. Uh, I don't need the whole MBA. I'd like to maybe get that later, but today I need the data science skills to be able to move forward and, and, and move ahead. And you said something a minute ago that I think it is, it is really worth mentioning. Uh, that is part of, I think, this thinking about these smaller chunks as you have the great resignation. Um, you know, some people are doing this on the fly and they need to retool quickly. And so it's less about, you know, again, it's it's um, uh, it's not short termism in a, in a bad way. But I think it really is people experimenting in new ways and saying, let me dip my toes into this degree or into this new profession uh, by taking a few months worth of education versus committing myself to a four year program get my feet wet, get into a job that actually lets me understand what the field's like, and then I might go back and earn my degree toward that space. So I think that is a that is a very big difference than what we might have seen uh, in 2008 through 2013, where it really was adults coming back for a more traditional degree experience, but in a fully online modality. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of wrinkle to this as well, is that like, you know, I, I know some people that are like kind of ed tech entrepreneurs that are uh, trying to kind of play in this space, but like, you know, in terms of like workforce development is like, there's not a lot of ways to sample a career, you know, like, and one great way to do it is, you know, you go take a short course, uh, that's like, you know, intro to X, Y, and Z. And yeah, it's maybe like, you know, 10 weeks at most. And, um, you can meet some folks that, you know, uh, maybe early in their tenure in that work, uh, you know, the faculty that you're working with can, you know, be great contacts and everything. But uh, yeah, like, and the idea that it's like, yeah, you gained knowledge and uh, a lot from that short course, but then you can parlay it towards something else too, if you want, you know, that uh, kind of has that that added value. But reflects um, how work is changing yeah. too, really. You know, I mean, it's it's not just that higher ed is changing as the way that we move into work. It's both sides of this are really shifting. And we think about um, the future of work and the future of how people are going to work. The idea that you're going to prep for four years and then you're going to go work somewhere for 30 years. Well, that's that's been over for more than a decade. Uh, I, I don't think emotionally and mentally some of us have let go of that mindset yet in mm -hmm. higher ed. But it, it it's uh, it's also about 
what happens post that degree. And this is, it's a little bit different for adults because adults are more, um, we, we know adults are more goal focused. So uh, it, it may be, if, if, I always say that if you have the privilege and capability of being able to take advantage of an undergraduate education on one of our campuses when you are 18 to 22, by all means, you should do that because it's an incredible experience to be a part of. And there's there's really almost nothing like that in terms of an exploration of what you might want to do. But when you're 35 or 45, you often are a bit more clear about where it is you want to go and what you want to do, at least in the next maybe five or 10 years of your career. So I think that's one part that's really shifted. The, the compact between businesses and individuals have, have shifted so that it's not like we're going to commit to give you the gold watch if you come to work here. But on the other hand, it's um, it's also that we see a lengthening of careers and I think an understanding of that lengthening of careers. And so those are, those are some pretty significant shifts, not just for higher ed, but how work is shifting and the way that people are going to work. And so this idea of sampling, going in and sampling a program, sampling a course or, or, or sampling a field, uh, we're seeing that more and more. People say, well, I'm not sure I want to go into this field but I'd like to know enough about it to see if it's something that will interest me. And um, that's a pretty big commitment to sample something. So I think people are, they're willing to put the time in and the effort in to understand what it will look like, but they need to do it in a way that doesn't commit them for multiple years of their lives right now. So, you know, implicit in a lot of what we're talking about, you know, it could be a student taking a single short course or uh, kind of enrolling formally into a certificate or, uh, you know, any number of kind of educational modalities and opportunities and everything. Um, and yeah, these are adult learners that could be, you know, uh, just have finished up an undergraduate degree, been out of school for decades or anything, you know. So I'm curious your point of view on any advice that you would give to faculty and staff to best support these students who, you know, just have all those differing kind of uh, backgrounds and contexts that they're working through. Yeah, I think it's, um, we have, of course, every institution is a little bit different. So we have, um, I'm at an institution that its undergraduate population is is very traditional. It's a traditional undergraduate population. So it's a bigger stretch for our faculty who work mostly with undergraduate students. But in our professional schools, they are working with adult learners already. Uh, many of our, our faculty uh, in, uh, in professional areas, they see this happening. Uh, so they're beginning to recognize that uh, even a master's degree for those going into a specific field um, what people are asking for is changing, what their students are asking for is changing, and what they need um, potentially is changing as, as we move forward. So I think it's important to support faculty and as they become more creative and think about what to do, that we prevent the rigidity of our current systems from preventing faculty from doing some experimentation in, the, in, the, in some of these areas. Um, and um, uh, it's, always, it's always helpful to make sure our faculty are educated in terms of uh, ongoing development. This is always a difficult thing to do, but our, our student population has really changed. I mean, we most of us know the numbers now, uh, you know, 73% or 74% of students in college today uh, are non-traditional students by at least one measure of being non-traditional, 65% uh, by age, but others by work status or having a child or all of those sorts of things. And so this idea that the world is still based on that 18 to 22 year old, uh, that really, that is really no longer the case. So I think first of all, helping faculty understand, even if you're at a traditional institution, that you might be serving a minority of the college going population and to realize the majority are really increasingly older and moving through college in ways that are very different than they used to in the past. So I think that's one thing to help them understand. The other thing is that it's important to help faculty see themselves in that teaching of those folks that may be different than what they thought they would be teaching. And I had a conversation with 
one of my colleagues on campus. And, and I took away from this really important point, I think, um, that people tend to gravitate uh, in, in whatever aspect of teaching they're in, whether they are in um, K-12 or higher education or maybe a corporate trainer. Um, and his thought was that uh, people tend to gravitate to the age of people that they're most comfortable in teaching. And I thought, well, that I'm not sure that really sounds true, but my my wife is a teacher and she said, you know, second and third grade is great. I would never want to teach fifth grade. And I think, well, that's, I need to think about that in, in relation to our faculty. So it's important to recognize for our faculty that many of them do want to teach 18 to 22 year olds. They want to have that experience. And it isn't just the same to say, because you teach 18 year olds, you're now also good at teaching all adults and that there are differences of development. Uh, a 30 year old has as much difference in time to it between a 30-year-old and an 18-year-old as an 18-year-old does to a kindergartner, right? So um, so to think of it that way, uh, I think, and begin to support our faculty in a different way to recognize that all adults are not the same, uh, that there are developmental differences as people get older and their life circumstances changes, and that we can provide that support to our faculty is really critical for them to be able to um, engage and, and feel like this is an important part of the future for higher education. Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh... Yeah, just a great way to put it. And I think like, it's like, <laughs> too, just like the idea of like, you know, yeah, like that example you gave of like 12 years, like going to college has changed a lot in 12, you know, just the idea of like so much being like, you know, online in terms of how you enroll and pay your bill and, you know, access your courses and all that. Like, so like somebody could just be like, yeah, I mean, I've never, you know, engaged in this environment to learn. So, you know, uh, being mindful of orienting those students and, uh, certainly, yeah, a lot of what you talked about as well is like training your faculty to be mindful of like, you know, these students and their needs and uh, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I mean, there's just any number of support structures you can put in place to just kind of help scaffold uh, those continuing students to understand all the kind of complexities of uh going to college and everything, but, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's more, as we look at the future of work and, and just the current of work, part of what's happening and, and whether it's the great resignation or the great retirement or the great reevaluation, I think it's a little bit of all of those things we're seeing. Certainly the great retirement is happening. Uh, and, and we see a lot of folks really who might've said, Hey, I might work another 10 years. And they're saying, you know what, I think I will take this opportunity and go ahead and retire. And so, when I look at the future, especially the near-term future, we've gone through, uh, and there's good research to show this, but the current generation, if we say the current generation of leaders comes from the baby boomer era, I always hate these names, but let's just use what people might know here. Mm -hmm. That generation really is retiring. My generation is Gen X. We're small. We don't have enough people to fill all of those roles that uh, are now going away and sometimes going away very rapidly. And so what this will mean is, I think for all of us, we're going to have to get used to leaders who have less experience than we might traditionally have seen, because we're going to have to start promoting some folks that aren't in that typical age range where perhaps over the last 40 years, you would expect somebody to begin to progress to leadership. We're going to have to move people more quickly into leadership. We're going to have younger people as leaders. We're going to have older people who are individual contributors. And so I, you know, I've started to ask the question, when your institution is talking about what you want to accomplish with diversity, equity, and inclusion is age a part of that conversation? Because our graduates are not going to be going into an environment where 
everybody who's a leader is the much older generation and everybody who's the individual contributor is much younger. We're going to be moving into a mixed age leadership and work environment. And so diversity and that understanding is going to be just important for people as it is in other contexts as we move forward. But, you know, it's it's going to be so it's going to be this interesting time uh, as we don't have enough of what we might call the more experienced older leaders. And we we all have to be better at understanding what it means to live and work in a mixed age environment, perhaps more than we have in the last 40 or 50 years. Yeah, that will be fascinating because, yeah, I think like for a long time, it being like a very, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but kind of just like, yeah, like, well, the president of the company is like the oldest person and then below them is younger. Or what Like, it's like, yeah, that's going to get shaken up a little bit, you know? Um, but uh yeah, I mean, that segues perfectly to what I want to talk about. It's just sort of like looking towards the horizon and the future and everything. And I guess to sort of like prime you, take this question however you will. But I feel like there's just a lot in terms of like, I mean, the types of programs or, uh, you know, the content areas that might be uh, developing or the way that like people fund uh, their continuing education, that sort of thing. So I guess I'm curious, like what is kind of grabbing your attention as you're uh, looking towards the horizon and then space? Yeah, I, we, we talk a lot about what we call the 60-year curriculum. And uh, I've been I've been one of the folks who've worked a lot on this. Many of my colleagues are working on this. Uh, and and uh, it's not thinking in terms of a two year or four year curriculum. It really is thinking about what do people need over the course of their extending lives. And here, here's a really interesting question I like to ask people. You know, how long do you think you will live? And, you know, and it, it's a hard question to answer in the moment. But it, and of course, it's not sort of let me put an end date on this. And, and hopefully mm-hmm. anybody who's listening doesn't have that, that kind of an end date. But you might say, uh, well, maybe into my 80s, because that's kind of what I've seen in my family and for whatever reason. Uh, But our 18-year-olds, if you're under the age of 30 today, you have a better than 50% chance to live to be over 100 years old. And that's kind of a mind-blowing fact. Uh, Grattan and Scott wrote a book called The 100-Year Life, Living and Working in in an Age of Longevity. And I, I, I recommend that book to people because even if you don't feel this, you're living in it. And so what they talk about is age will not equal stage. And we're also seeing this begin to happen where people might say, I'm going to take a sabbatical in my 30s, not wait until I'm older. I'm going to take some time away from work. That's part of the great resignation that we're seeing right now. I'm going to experiment in a completely different way with my life. I'm going to stop working for 10 years and go start a business, and then I'm going to go back to a stable job. So what Grattan and Scott have said is if we look to a 100-year life, the working lifespan is likely to be about 60 years. A 25-year-old will work until they are 85. If we project forward the current economic realities, the current social benefits plans and so forth, it's a 60-year working life. And so so what's exciting us here is we're already seeing this. In our programs designed for older uh, folks, they're coming in not just wanting enrichment education, they're coming in wanting to start their first business at 65. And so I think we're already seeing the front end of what longevity is going to do over the long term. And I think some of this experimentation, even if people aren't conscious of it, they're feeling they have enough time to do some experimentation where you don't need to lock into that 30-year career and do that one thing. But very few people are going to do the same thing for 60 years across their lifespan. And so what we're looking at is how do we begin to really not just offer segments of programming. Yes, we have some certificates for mid-career. We have OSHER, Lifelong Learning Institute for our older learners. But how do we begin to connect these pieces together so that we can really, truly support people across their lifetimes in formal education? And of course, we all know the world is filled with tons of fantastic informal education as well. 
I like to say one of the most validating things is when I have a problem on my computer and I start typing into Google and it auto completes and somebody else in the world has had the same bizarre problem on their computer. And then there's usually a video of a 12 year old that tells me how to fix it. We're all doing that kind of learning every day, but we also need bursts of formal learning that are gonna be interspaced and very different than this model of front end loading everything from the age of 18 to 22. And that's, it's not rocket, this is not future science, this is happening right now. And so it's exciting to be a part of this because this differentiation is really a recognition that people are gonna keep learning and moving in and out of learning for their entire lives. It won't just be an early phase, uh, it's gonna be something that they're going to move in and out of. Now, when we talk about the 60-year curriculum, and you touched on this, there are five really key areas. Uh, and I won't go through all of them in detail, but digital credentialing is one of those that allows people to more seamlessly move across different workspaces, having different kinds of technologies and 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 what we call an academic stack that views a learner not for as a four-year and a graduate, but as someone that you're going to reconnect to over and over again throughout their lives. Uh, different kinds of services are going to be required, different kinds of coaching services. Um, uh, we're going to need um, uh, a different array of programming or what we call the meta programming for that people need over that time period. And finally, and you touched on this, but I think it's really important to, to, to maybe come back to this is we're going to need to change our funding and policy environment. Uh, when I say these things to a traditional undergraduate student today, they fall off a chair and say, I can't even afford to get through my four years. And now you're telling me I'm going to have to go back and retool uh, over and over. And, and and I guess if I were in their shoes and looking at the current environment where there's very little support, uh, though we are seeing maybe some short-term Pell moving into some of the, or some Pell grants moving into the short-term educational uh, market um, as a possibility. But that's just one example of where funding up and, and policy are going to have to shift to, to be able to provide the kind of supports that people will need to move in and out of these educational systems throughout their lifetime. So it's a that's what really gets me excited. It's this big frame uh, of what's changing in people's lives, but it's the immediacy that we see it happening right now with lots of new program opportunities, lots of different ways to engage in both formal and informal learning in our environment. And uh, it's, it's, it's just um, to see it actually happen for, for an ed tech guy who's been doing ed tech since, um, you know, it wasn't really ed tech back in the 90s, I think it seems like, um, uh, to today, some of the things we've always talked about are really happening. The differentiation, the ability to personalize your program paths, all of that is happening right now. And so that's what gets me excited is that everybody, even students like me who might be told you're not college material, there's a path there now for just about everybody who wants and needs that. I'm not saying college in the way we've always thought of it is for everybody. We need people doing a lot of different kinds of work. But on the other hand, higher learning of some form is probably going to be required by just about everybody to continue to function in an increasingly complicated society. And so it's going to take a lot of work to figure out not just the stuff and the delivery and what should be there, but really how do we make it work for people and what are the right policy and funding implications so that uh, everyone can take advantage of that. Yeah, that's great kind of overview of everything. and. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about the the funding stuff because yeah, that kind of is exactly what's uh, uh, been on my mind is seeing the headlines around like like uh, Pell Grant uh, uh, potentially kind of uh, changing, expanding there. So yeah, you'd already mentioned um, one great resource that we'll link out to, but uh, we always like to give folks the opportunity to highlight anything else that is uh, grabbing their attention uh, that they want to share, books, articles, podcasts, or anything that we can also uh, 
include in the show notes? Sure. Um, well, certainly uh, um, uh, just the shameless plug is always, uh, we'd love for folks to take a look at what we're doing at continuum.uw.edu. Uh, and that's both in terms of like the work we're going, we have going on, some of these projects we talk about there, we have the news things, but it also links into our program array, uh, which people who might be learners who might be interested in thinking about uh, a future career can, uh, can link into our professional continuing education offerings, take a look at what this true lifespan of learning could uh, potentially uh, look like and 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 be like. Uh, I, I mentioned the 100 Year Life book. I, I think that's a great book. It was written in 2016, and so um, so it has uh, been around for uh, four or five years. Uh, but uh, and the authors have a new book that's uh, um, coming out. I think very very soon to sort of follow on to to that work. But I think it's important. That's one important aspect to uh, to continue taking a look at. Uh, and um, uh, so so those are two things that I would say. Uh, you know, think about these longer lives. Uh, think about what you might do with that additional time. Think about it as your children, as you're coaching them on how they're going to think about learning. It really does help to think about it in that broader frame of the 100-year life. Uh, so those would be a couple of things I would look at for people who might be more in the higher education space who are thinking a, a lot about this. Um, um, my, my colleagues have been doing a, a number of uh, pieces on this. Um, uh, there's a university, uh, Lund University uh, has a um, uh, a, a book on transformative academics. It's uh, Cali, C-A-L-I-E. Uh, so if you, you Google that, you will find a, a book that is really about how higher education is transforming. We have a chapter in there about the 60-year curriculum as well. So people can go uh, go look that up. And uh, it's a rather long URL. So C-A-L-I-E uh, and L-U-N-D, and you'll find um, you'll find that through Google faster than me giving you a link over the air. So those would be some of the things that I would say people might want to take a look at in this changing environment. And uh, uh, it's uh, there's no shortage of um, future of work uh, kinds of things that people are speculating on, uh, but it is interesting to see what's actually happening in the higher education environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people can kind of branch off from uh, those things that you mentioned as well. Uh, yeah. To kind of keep the, keep the learning going, but um yeah, we will uh, end though now, uh, as we always do, give you an opportunity for a final thought or call to action on this topic uh, uh, to end the episode. Uh, first of all, keep learning um, and, and, and continue for yourself and for others to think about what's next. I think it is so important for us to include thinking about age as we think about our diversity on our own campuses. Uh, for those who are in higher education listening to this, I hope you're thinking about this maybe in a different way and saying, hey, we haven't thought about age, at least ask the question why you haven't thought about age. But I think learning throughout the lifespan is uh, both um, a challenge and an opportunity for all of us. It will help us diversify who we're serving. It will diversify the higher education landscape. And so it's uh, there's a lot of steps to be taken there, but I hope more people will engage in this topic because I, I think it's going to have a big part in the future of higher education. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I know from some of our prior conversations, uh, you know, I think, you know, divisions of continuing education will uh, be leading the charge uh, in a lot of ways. And then they can kind of, uh, you know, educate their colleagues on their campus about how to, you know, support adult learners and, you know, incorporate uh, stackable credentials and all these kind of cool things that I feel like, uh, you know, they've been working on for a while. So, um but uh, yeah, a great place to end it. Uh, thank you so much for for hanging out and sharing all that you did and we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and your work and everything that you mentioned uh, in the show notes for this episode as usual. But uh, yeah, great conversation. I, I love talking about this stuff. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Dustin, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. 
Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.